Hi, Logos Legacy here. So this video is about international relations theory and power theory, but in a very much spiritual or mystical way, inspired highly by <clears throat> David R. Hawkins' Power versus Force. And the ideas that came to me as I was reading it, or at least the first one of my chapters and the forewords. Uh, there's two of them because it's a revised edition. So basically, this um, his research, according to in the foreword, David R. Hawkins has said that his research actually inspired in a number of fields, including international relations, new developments. And one of those is, this is me reading between the lines a little bit. I, to me, seems to be the idea of hard power and soft power. Hard power relates to, in the field of international relations, generally refers to military and economic aspects of power, right? These according to the realist school or of international relations, which was the original one, is typically thought of as um, what it's about. But a newer aspects to it have to do with the, the reputation of a state, for example. Uh, like how influential, like the influence of Hollywood, America's, and how that contributes to America's soft power, right? For example. Uh, or how the Beijing, Beijing Olympics might have impacts China's soft power. And the idea is that also has an impact. Now, what I'm going to be saying here, and I'm going to kind of say why using David Hawkins' theory here, but what I'm essentially going to be saying is, I don't think it can be said simply that hard power relates to force um which would relate to frequencies below 200 on the hawkins scale um which would range from uh shame to pride uh, and that power would be everything above that and would relate to um soft power i don't think it works as simply as that First of all, because when we're looking at power, honestly, I think, well, what's called power in international relations? It's fundamentally a psychological matter, um, in truth. And actually, if you look at force, what he identifies as force and power, it's actually more of a psychological matter because, okay, let's look at, um, coercion as an example someone puts a gun to your head right that's actually a psychological matter you might think okay no, no it's physical like you die if you don't obey or you get hurt if you don't obey right but you know you don't have to you just you are afraid or interested in your mind regarding the outcome of obeying or not when the force is involved, okay? 
And um, <clears throat> together there's that. What about the economy, okay? H how was that like um, psychological? When it, insofar as it relates to power, like, well, what is the meaning of money? Like, oh, what does it represent? Like, and what is the economy and the state of the economy? It's, it's in the head, it's in our heads largely, right? What 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 is the value of a currency or the value of a good? Like it's fundamentally like at least in an economy, it's, it's kind of these material things are part of the holographic reality, right? And and so it's kind of like the mind is the real reality. The physical stuff is just subjective perception that's in the mind. So as for anything in the economy, the GDP and this and that, like it's ultimately just arbitrary fluff based on the mind. And people actually make decisions in the economy based on their mind. And research has, for example, nudge uh, economics and stuff like that, behavioral economics that is, has been looking at that from a behavioral lens, mind you, which has some limitations, but I'm not going to answer that necessarily now. Um, psychological. That's the point, it's psychological. Now, what about soft power? Well, soft power relates to what people believe and things like reputation and culture and society, social interactions. That's, I think we can agree that is psychological. And I could go into detail as to why it's psychological, but I don't think I need to make that case. I don't think you'll disagree with me on that. Um, it's more overtly psychological, but let's face it, hard power is also psychological. Although when I say psychological, I suppose I don't strictly mean psychological in the terms of purely the discipline, psychology. What I'm talking about is the mind, but not just the mind. Because in spirituality, mind means a number of things depending on the teacher, the context. It also relates to spirit. It relates to spirit, heart, emotion, and thoughts. Okay, that's beginning vague, isn't it? It's, it relates to the mind in the sense that is meant in mentalism, the law of mentalism, that, that um, belief determines reality and uh, the law of attraction, the law of manifestation, the law of vibration, and, and such, that you can, that there's a mental impression that by the I am and the unconscious or the subconscious has that impression laid upon it and kind of almost has birthed through that and manifests that impression in the holographic reality, right? That, that's more or less what it's about. And that the causation is actually in the I am aspect of things. That, that there's a, a conscious aspect of things that is actually non-physical, but mental, right? And then there's, then it plays out in the physical based on that. And that's why the physical is a world purely of effects. And that's something Dave Hawkins points out. And the reason why people get mixed up trying to understand the world from a purely materialist perspective and make sense of it, and yet we haven't seemed to go anywhere despite 
huge amount of data available now, a huge amount of time humanity been trying to figure these things out. We've had a lot of trouble with it, and we're repeating the same old mistakes or issues, or patterns again and again and again. Why? Because we're looking at effects to try to find the solutions to effects with effects, instead of looking at where the causes are. So that's kind of a tangent, though I do think it's relevant. Right, so power, as is referred to in international relations literature, for example, not, I'm not referring to David Hawkins' conception of power. That is something that's not psychological, right? Or at least belonging to the mind. Okay, so, and what about the physical aspects of things? Well, these are just, um, I would say, I, I always have difficulty with this word, corollary, corollary, oh, sorry. <laughs> Basically, the physical is a reflection or a manifestation of the true mental aspects of causes, right? There's a mental level of things that's really causing stuff, and then there's the physical level of effects, right? And what we're seeing in the physical aspects of power between the state, or between individuals or whatever, between groups, tribes, what have you. That is a reflection of the real mental causation. And that is where power actually is occurring. And also perhaps a source which moves through them through the mind, but which is but to which um, the mind is contingent. So it's something that precedes even that. Now, what about power and force as David Hawkins uh, understands it? Well, power and force relate to two different paradigms, perhaps we could say, regarding energetic, mental, emotional frequency, which can actually, with the uh, with the test that uses in Kin, kinesthetic, kin, kinesology is basically you push down with an arm and you say a statement, if it's false, it's like it goes weak, if it's true, it goes strong, and things like that. If it's something that's unhealthy, it goes weak, if it's healthy, it goes strong. And there's a whole bunch of effects, right? This was noticed by some theorists in the, the field. Uh, you could say that David Hawkins is quite an enlightened chap, let's say, uh, before he came across this. And he came across this, and he realized that very quickly that you can use this is but by the way this was entirely even scientific verified this method before he came across it even to apply to things in mysterious ways that people didn't even know that something was unhealthy was put up to the chest or something right or the stomach right and then they did the test and they got a weak reaction right and if they didn't know it was Good for them, and it was there, it got a positive grip and stuff like that. Like, so it doesn't even rely on what people know, it just the body reacts based on the frequency or whatever, uh, or whether it's strong or weak in the word of comments. Now, he, he looked at this, he realized very quickly that you can apply it to non local things if you think about it in terms of 
quantum physics or uh, physics. So not just stuff that is immediately there, but questions about stuff that no one who's involved actually knows about. And it can actually be, if you do it with other people or verify or align scientifically, and it tells, we basically find out about things in the world using this method. Not just in the world, but in the universe. We can find out about anything, pretty much. And one thing, we can guess and no questions and so forth. And one of the things that could be done is using a measure of from zero, from one to a thousand. If you if you state that that's the measure, you know, with that in mind, and use this this, this the method uh, in kinesiology, and basically that it actually through that scientific process, a rigorous scientific process, it was actually established frequency, emotional frequencies, which is called the Hawkins scale, going from one all the way to a thousand, technically beyond, but it only really measures up to a thousand, right? Now what he just, now in something, now Uta talks about in the book so far, is in something called nonlinear dynamics, which is an aspect of science which was studied when computers got a bit better and they looked at a whole morass of data that seemed like just random, non-meaningful patterns, right, with random stuff's happening. They, they analyzed that and they, they, they noticed that there's a whole bunch of these energetic fields that are operating, determining things. Um, these are called uh, attractor fields. Uh, have you ever heard of the butterfly effect? They've got this there's this shape that looks like a butterfly, and I've noticed that as, in terms of what's called a, a Lorenz attractor, and that's sort of the Lorenz force. By the way, I did a an interview, I can't remember the guy's name, but I did an interview with someone recently about, well, the name, the name of the video mentioned spaceships, and it's got like this picture of this upside down energy tree or something. You might be able to find it. Well, anyway, the, the, the guy I was interviewing was talking about how spaceships, or at least some of them, use the Lorentz force and how everything in the universe operates according to the Lorentz force. I can't confirm if that's true or not, but when it comes to um, these Lorentz tractors, which is the butterfly sort of attraction field, it's a, basically a field that, okay, a field is like an electric. It's like electromagnetic, although not necessarily just that, but it's like a, an apple-shaped energy shape, 3D or more, um, that you know like how the Earth has got a field around it. Uh, and northern, it's visible the northern lights when the sun bombards it. Or like there's electromagnetic field around the, around the person. Or magnets, you know, magnets have that effect. They've got this kind of apple-like shape around them in terms of and there's northern south pole and stuff like that or oh, the attraction so it's like attracting stuff in accordance to a pattern an energetic pattern right and you get fields nested in fields and smaller fields are kind of weaker fields are kind of dominated or controlled by uh larger ones the dominating is like the word i was looking for but it's because fields of dominance. A field of dominance is exhibited by high energy patterns in their influence over weaker ones. This may be likened to the coexistence of a small magnetic field within a much larger, much larger powerful field of a giant electromagnet. 
the phenomenon phenomenological universe is the expression of the interaction of the endless attractor patterns of varying strengths. The unending complexities of life are the reflections of the endless reverberations of the augmentations and diminutations of these fields compounded by their harmonics and other interactions. Now, I like how he described it there. Uh, I don't know if you actually understood what you just read. I think I get what he's saying. I'm pretty sure I do. But, okay. How would I, okay, I'll just try to represent that. So there's a bunch of interlocking fields getting larger and larger and larger. The, the more powerful ones kind of determine what happens in the smaller ones, or the weaker ones. And the interaction of these fields kind of determines everything that's going on. Or rather, there's an, everything the universe is like an expression of these interactions. Um, and the harmonics and other directions, right? So it's like, and it works a bit like how the field of a smaller magnetic field in a bigger one. So there's a small magnet within the area which affected by a big magnet, and it's kind of like that. Except you get bigger and bigger and bigger ones going from infinity. Um, that's kind of what it's talking about. If you want to know what the, I'm referring to, the butterfly shape, uh, have a look at that. That's kind of like a that's what the butterfly effect is referring to. So, yeah, how, how so what's an attractor? Okay, this is relevant, trust me. What is an attractor? Attractor is a name given to an identifiable pattern that emerges from a seemingly unmeaningful mass of data. There is a hidden coherence in all that appears incoherent. It appears random, but there's actually a distinct pattern going on here. Uh, this was first demonstrated by Edward Renz in the study of computer graphics, studying computer graphics deriving weather patterns over long courses of time. The pattern he identified is now quite famous as the Lorenz butterfly. Now, if you look at this diagram again, can you see that there's actually a graph chart here of information up and down, up and down, that this is a, a graph. The graph is kind of like a 2D the 2D equivalent of a field anyway, to be honest. And then there's like a movement of something across a uh, 3D space. Of course, it's not, everything's more than 3D, but yeah. And this actually represents the activity here in the data, right? And this is just a 2D, it looks 2D, right? But if you look, you can see it's a 3D space, right? And this represents the trends, the pattern over time so there's a a pattern lying hidden under the data it looks like just a bunch of raw data and a bunch of numbers all over the place but there's actually a pattern that's let's say pulling things or attracting things towards a certain trend or a certain direction so to speak hopefully you know what the hell i'm talking about so um i'm gonna put a <laughs> find the how things fit together in my mind, because that's what I'm talking about here. So, um, so he was talking about, so this is how, this is so this is field of nonlinear dynamics. And nonlinear means it's not just like A causes B causes C, but rather there's, 
like a unifying unified causal factor of a b c next to each other like a times not in a times b times c but a b c right and then it's like arrows coming from that going towards a plus b plus a goes towards b goes towards c so basically there's a timeless factor and then there's um an interaction between the timeless factor and then how in which I guess you could say in the mental realm or maybe beyond that, that there's a, an aspect of things of reality that's non-physical, that's causal, but non-temporal. So not really based on time, because time is kind of an illusion. And then there's a physical manifestation of things happening in a time-based sequence. But really the causation isn't the physical set series of events, these are just kind of like almost like a narrative set up by a causation out of time. Now, this is something that uh, the scientist um, Bohm, B-O-H-M, has been looking into. Now, keep in mind, a lot of what I'm saying here is I'm kind of referring to things in the bit of the book. Partly what I know already, obviously. Like, he wasn't talking about international relations with it. So, uh, yeah, and Bohm was talking about how there's a, a source of causation that's provable scientifically that goes beyond um simple causation so that linear dynamics is this just looking at that a plus b you know, causes cb causing c and if you looked at my video about quantum physics where i was reading from oh what was that what's the book Quantum Theory and Free Will by Robert Stapp, I think, or someone Stapp. Uh, anyway, so I did a reading of that. Uh, we were talking about how there's... Um, basically, there's, in quantum physics, there's this thing called process A and process B, or process one and process two. Now, much of what's talked about quantum physics is process two, which is basically the purely physical aspect of things in which um, everything seems to be terministic, almost in a mechanistic way. Although it's like Newtonian, but upgraded with quantum um, discoveries. But it's all understood in purely material, also energetic terms, but just in a sense that's physicalist right when a kind of atheistic non entirely secular perspective right where everything's determined thing determined and everything just happens in a purely mindless godless way right right and the, 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 but however it's proven in quantum physics that there's a process one which is Okay, so in process two, you get a whole bunch of pulse probabilities and super persistent collapse, which is basically you look at the. So there's suppose this is suppose there's a box and there's a cat in it, and if you look at open the box, by the time you actually open the box, the cat will be either alive or dead. You don't know which. Um, in fact, it may. That's not quite right. Yeah. So by the time you actually see it, you'll either be a live cat or a dead cat. Um, and so the idea is before you open it, it must be dead and alive at the same time. But that's, and so the idea is there's always possibilities of the position of 
quantum um, particles, let's say. I mean, we could even be larger things, but the position or the movement or the momentum, that is, of, let's say, a particle, right? But until you observe it, it's potentially all of them because observing affects its position or its movement, and you can't look at it both at the same time. And you do observe it, well, observing it affects it, which could suggest, depending on your interpretation, that uh, if everything's connected across time and space in a non-local way, which has been proven, that basically the observer, the conscious observer, is ultimately determined what's real in a way that's akin to law of attraction. Okay, trust me, this is relevant. Tangentially. So, process one is like, there's causation. There's a determining factor in the observation process in testing, scientific testing, for example, which determines which of these many possibilities is the one which it collapses into okay so you're observing it and you could say oh it's randomly just becoming one of these possibilities is the one that plays out uh in, in process two right but what determines which process two one it is you could say it's random you could say it's just completely determined by the origin of the universe but the fact is this process one as well process one is conscious observation what it seems to do is fundamentally affect which possibility it is that you see play out based on what the choice of observation is. And this works not just with one end observation, observer, but all observer observers, independent of time. If you observe it later, like that affects multiple people observe it at different times, that uh, there's a composite sort of effect. Now I've got to remember why I was going with this. So, this has to do with basically how process one is almost like a the nor and alter time source observer, like when you observe and meditate, that in its observation and the frequency of the observer will determine what of these possibilities plays out in the linear space, which is the physical linear space that process two in quantum physics deals with. Um, so linear space is, and linear events and time are an illusion of a non-linear mental reality, let's say. I'm simplifying. And in nonlinear dynamics, with this in mind, there are these attractor fields, or Lorenz attractors, right, which are some are more powerful than others. It's a bit like how you got a big powerful magnet, and there's within that field, there's a smaller magnet, a smaller magnet, a smaller magnet, each one affects other ones, right? All within the same, all interlocking in larger and larger levels. Okay, of power and scale and expansion, say. So, so 
they're this little called strange attractors. At least so far, he hasn't gone into detail about what they are, but, but they're basically like a type of these Lorenz fields, or the type of these fields. And what they basically represent in terms of kinesiology, his version of it, is that when it was applied to the different emotional frequencies, going from one to a thousand, is that each of these, there's a sort of, my impression is that there's a sort of a confluence or coagulation of these subfields that represent the kind of linked basically different emotions or these different emotions, emotions are different strange attractors. And what they do is, yeah, and it's, and they represent, so basically, love is a strange attractor at a certain level, 600, no, 500, which is at the mid-level, kind of, between, which is the reason why it's in the middle. I mean, the heart is in the middle as well. Love is related to the heart, so there's that. Um, up to 200 is obviously, from well, 1 to 200 is from shame to pride. Everything being below 200 is force, and it's done in a forceful manner. Everything above that is power. Now, interestingly, one dynamic of nonlinear dynamics, one feature of nonlinear dynamics, is it's that it's been noticed that there are certain points in space-time, so to speak, which are very influential, which have a big impact on the rest of the system, even if they don't seem that big. Uh, a reference that was used was the fact that if you poke like a, if you press at a, um, a windmill at a certain location, it just stops the whole thing, okay? And you put your finger at a certain point and Kyle will stop the whole thing. It's basically for certain nodal points in terms of the interaction of the fields or the energetic patterns, where some patterns interact with other ones in intricate ways. As I was describing earlier when I was saying, you know, that the fields are dominance, right? There's high energy patterns and there's weaker ones inside of them. And there's complex interactions and reverberations and so forth. Right, so we're talking about critical point analysis there. Critical point analysis is that when we're grown beyond Newtonian causality, which we are, as I've described, um, this is something uh, physicists such as Einstein, Heisenberg, Bell, and Burr, and others talked about. Um, everything's subtly dependent, dependent and interdependent on everything else. This is kind of, this is non-duality. No, not non. It is non-duality, but that's not what I meant. What I meant is it's non-locality, which means everything in one local region, let's say, and another local region, they're all connected as if they're adjacent. Because everything is adjacent, in a sense. Everything was, at one point, as far as time's even meaningful. Um, suppose there's a whole just set of giant clockworks, right? And everything in reality is operating that way. It's actually not that way, but suppose that there is. Suppose there are certain points that interact between certain key mechanisms that um, affect the rest of it. So let's see, I'll, I'll have to read out what he says, actually. I think that'll be easier to hear. Um, 
If we look at even simpler clockworks, we will notice that some gears move strongly. We will notice that some gears move slowly and ponderously, while others very rapidly. And tiny balances twirl about as escape mechanisms see saw back and forth. To place pressure on one of the larger moving gears would have little effect on the mechanism. However, somewhere there is a delicate balance mechanism at which the, the point at which point the slightest touch stops the entire device. This is identified as the critical point where the least force exerts the critical, the greatest effect. Um, so it's actually when you're not forcing something, when you're allowing the higher, greater level power of, um, or um, powers or um, attractive fields to do their thing, when you get out of the way and don't force it, it can actually be more powerful than trying to forcibly get something done. Okay? So, it's like, it kind of relates to the idea of attaching to outcome versus kind of going with a flow sort of thing. If we look at turbulent flow and uh, in uh, flow dynamics, there's turbulent flow and there's linear flow and how linear flow is actually more there's also laminar flow in between or something. But basically, linear flow is actually, I think it's called linear flow, I'm not sure, is it laminar? Basically, the non-turbulent flow is actually more efficient, more effective, it includes in the blood as well, this is significant. Whereas turbulent flow is actually all disruptive and chaotic and not really capital as much. It depends on your purpose, but it's not self. Um, and turbulent flow is kind of represents, I guess, metaphorically the idea of force. Uh, this is relevant. So, um, essentially, the critical point in this Hawkins scale, as I understand it, could be wrong. The critical point is two hundred, and it's the distinction between force and power. Power being sort of an easy natural flow from higher cause to lower for force being kind of getting in the way of that process and just kind of trying to make things happen but with more difficulty and less efficiency and more waste uh, i could go into more detail but that's kind of how it goes uh and 200 is that critical point where it's a tipping point where it fundamentally enters a new paradigm of doing things which is why the emotions such as all the way shame at the very bottom, all the way to pride, these ones, it's kind of like forcing others and yourself into line. And by force, I don't mean it literally as like a gun to someone's head, but rather psychological force, I suppose you could say, or mental force, where you're, suppose you don't want to do something and you just make yourself do it, right? buckle down and get through it right and you don't really want to do it at all right you're not flow you, you, you every moment you're like i want to stop i want to stop i want to stop and you just keep going um that is an example of a force against yourself now if there's someone doing something and they don't want to do it and you keep making them do it through some kind of may means where you say well i'll pay you this much if you do it or you'll suffer this if you do it, do it, or something you care about will suffer this, you do it, or you die if you don't do it, or whatever, right? Um, then what happens is they, that's force, right? 
Oh, here's another question. What happens if you emotionally blackmail them? If we say, oh no, so many people die if you don't do that. If, if you if you don't give this money to charity, then so many of those poor innocent children will die and you wouldn't want to do that, would you? That, that would be heartless, monstrous, and you're a good person, aren't you? That's just an example, right? You know, there's so many. I think you know what I mean. And um, <laughs> that is kind of forcing someone when they might not quite want to do something, right? I mean, charity is not the best example because this it, kind of seems like a good thing, right? <laughs> I mean, it, it is, generally speaking. The point is emotional blackmail. Like, you can understand that's kind of force or like, um, yeah, you get someone to do something they don't want to do because like, that will hurt my feelings or whatever, whatever, right, okay. So I think you have my point. Now, this relates to what international relations theory is called soft power because so the discipline goes that, that soft power is when it's not done through, well, hard power, which is economic incentives or violence, right? But here's the thing. Can we say that soft power is inherently the power aspect that um, David Hawkins, over 200 in the Hawkins scale, and that below it is four. It is hard power, which is force. I don't think so. Why? Because A, even hard power is mental, psychological, right? Just as soft power is. The real reality is the mental and non-linear. The linear dynamics is a sort of holographic reflection corollary, uh, corollary, corollary, no, corollary. <laughs> I think I got it right the last time. <laughs> it's a reflection, a manifestation of that, right? Higher order causation was the, the realm of the effects is linear. It's the linear realm, the material realm, so to speak. Um, so if it's all actually mental causation here, then basically the whole distinction between hardness of power is actually an illusion. They're just different applications of the same principle, which is, it's mental, but is it forceful? Or is it is it relating to force or power, which is frequencies below or above 200 in the scale? Now, now do you see how this connects together and why I was going all these wild tangents, which aren't actually tangents at all? Because in terms of these attractor fields, um, the attractor fields are fundamentally affecting every aspect of human civilization, right? From individual, from the individual to interactions between individuals to groups or friends, where there might be someone who's like trying to, I don't know, get cajole in some way, people to go to watch a filming to see, and other people don't want to go, or some of them do, and some of them don't. And some people want to please him, so whatever, you know, they might get that, especially if we can get interactions with narcissists, for example. Or or just someone who's acting in it as an example. Or someone who's like, oh yeah, I paid this money to go and watch this film with me. I don't know why they do that. Or but there you go. But then it goes another level that you get this in groups, tribes, you get it in neighborhoods potentially this distinction between power and force and the different frequencies of the strange attractors within those two 
paradigms. So, yeah, so something can be done in a loving way. It can be done, it's merely on the acceptance level. It can be done, it can be done in an enlightened way, perhaps. What done is not really what I like to use here, what doing is an illusion. But, um, or things can be prideful, or they can be at the frequency of shame or the frequency of anger. Anger is actually higher than fear, I think. But yeah, there's different levels, okay? Now, here's another thing. You might think soft power is like, well, it's like, it's not making people do things, it's influencing them to do things. So it's all like, um, it's power rather than in the Hawkins scale, right? It's not like forcing people, it's subtly influencing people, which is a positive, you know, more genuine, truthful, it's what Hawkins is referring to, it's higher frequencies, right? Uh, well, I addressed how it's not necessarily that simple already, but in another sense, another way to put it is that, another thing to consider, Okay, so um, the Olympics and all these big monuments that nations have built. Um, for example, Imperial France, they had these big buildings representing their wealth and power. I mean, like the House of Parliament, we all have like that. It's like showing off the prestige and power of a nation. Or if you get more of your um, more of your people win and medals in the Olympics, even go back to ancient Greece, it's this idea of like, oh, our city state is way more powerful and prestigious and significant because we've got more winners, right? So it's just like, oh yeah, and then they're they're more special. Um, so it's this very egoic, prideful thing. Um, and so honestly. And it's the same as, oh, we've got our film industry that's so influential, or our culture is so influential. And like you say, the, oh, yes, the, the way of eating French cuisine is so significant, and that's become the international thing. So uh, there was a point in time, maybe, where, well, I mean, even Russians were very influenced by the French, right, at a certain point. That was French soft power, you could say. But since it was actually... But in some ways, a nation's or culture's ways of doing things might spread in a, what Hawkins would say, power-based way, so over 200. But what happens when it's done in a prideful way? Will even people going along with things out of fear, or they don't, or something like that, a lower frequency beneath that level? Then what happens is, that's actually that's force, that's mental force. And so the whole soft power, hard thing, hard power breaks down. But what we do have is fundamentally, we have power and force. Okay, so what's really going on in international relations? If you don't use, if we use power and force, we can't really say this is kind of power and that kind of power, because it's power and force. What's really going on here? It's all energetic, all these interactions from the lowest level to the highest level of human society and beyond. It's energetic. So, and 
you might remember originally the wrens when he discovered these attractive fields and the butterfly bait and stuff he was studying weather patterns well I don't think I'm the first person to think of this idea. I'm sure this has been done already. I think behavioral economics kind of does this a bit. There has already been study of human societies and the economy and all these complex human civilizational societal dynamics, right? Using field, this nonlinear dynamics and field theory and understanding in that way. So if from Hawkins, from Hawkins' perspective, if we understand that there are these different level levels of strange attractors, which can be put at different, relate to different motions and put on different levels of, on a scale from one to 1,000, where two is the dividing line between force and power, then of course, we can fundamentally, we can look at human society, at politics, at economics, at society, at international relations, and basically, and using the arm test, we can basically assess what the frequency of different things in these dynamics and the dynamics between them, where they lie on the kit on, I was going to say Kinsey scale. <laughs> oh, we can, I suppose. Yeah, we could totally use this to decide how, um, how uh, homosexual something is. But uh, <laughs> I'm joking, uh, mostly. Um, what I meant to say is the Hawkins scale. So the Hawkins scale can be used for that. And of course, the Hawkins scale is very useful with the, in conjunction with the, the whole test with the arm. It can basically, this was a strength test, it can, well, I've mentioned it already, you know what I'm throwing to. You can discern truths or falsities about, like, you can discern what's true and what's the, the level of frequency that something's at on that scale through that means, okay? And you can understand what, and when you understand where it's coming from, you can say, okay, this policy, this is at this sort of level, right? Or this interaction between these two nations in geopolitics, oh, it's at this level, right? Oh, that's at the uh, anger level, okay? Uh, oh, this Olympics. Um, this is at the uh, pride level, okay? Maybe, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying it is, I'm just using it as an example. Uh, this thing here is actually, this is actually acceptance. This, this coming together, this peace agreement, this is actually at the level of acceptance. Or this new, um, where new approach of doing things, uh, where people grow their own crops and don't rely on state and corporations, I'm not assuming, <laughs> what I'm going to say here is just a, don't take it too seriously, take it with a bunch of talk. Permaculture, oh, it's like at the level of uh, love, maybe. Maybe it's not even that high, it probably is. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. So I'm just using example. This is subjective, all right? The point is, you can basically assess different stuff using this whole method, and you can understand, in terms of nonlinear dynamics and, well, what I'd say, Hawkins dynamics, the Hawkins scale, power and force, understanding that there were mental causes to all of this and everything we're seeing is just playing out in linear illusory time space of, was it space time, whatever. We were seeing it playing out of basically a, reflect, a manifestation of higher order mental causes.
which are ultimately reflecting the patterns of the divine uh, and how they interplay throughout on different levels of fields, the, the causation down to the lowest level. Um, it's like a downflow from on high, like there's this well at the top and it's like water flowing down a mountain. I don't know, well, that just came to me. It came to me. So, um, you know, I probably went longer than I intended, but I actually succeeded to get it across. Hopefully I did, I don't know. So hopefully you didn't get lost and you got something from this. I certainly did, I enjoyed it. I know it's a lot of different, it's a lot of different factors to sort of combine together here. Um, I really recommend you read Power Versus Force. It's a high frequency book, so you'll probably get a lot from it just from that. Um, it really got my creative juices flowing. If you're interested in this, if you didn't find it boring, you'll probably enjoy it. If you found this boring, maybe you'll find this boring. Maybe not. Maybe it's just a way I explained it. I don't know. I mean, there's so much more. I, I don't know. There's just so many ahas reading this. It's fantastic. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I've barely even got going, really. This is some early... You know, this is how far I'm through. I am through the book, right? Um, yeah, I've got a lot more to read a bit, but yeah, I'm enjoying. I think I'm gonna leave it that for now, but I like how I've been able to talk about international relations and <laughs> quantum physics and spirituality uh, and science and and uh, his theory, you know, power source, and kind of link it together. I I, I like doing that anyway. So. You, well, I uh, wish you well.